What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Gravity Leadership is a growing network of people who believe the center of the Christian life is the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ, and that learning to take love seriously is vital for how we practice discipleship, mission, and leadership. The Gravity Leadership Podcast explores, in practical ways, how to root our lives and our leadership in this love that holds all of us and everything together. Hey, welcome back to the bonus bonus coverage of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. <laughs> ben and Christy and I are here, and you are going to hear, we said uh, on Tuesday, this is like the first ever time a guest has invited us to come back onto our own podcast, and she's decided to lead it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically, that's kind of what she did, yeah. And, and we said, okay. So it was good. Right. Yeah, I mean, Melinda, Melinda Mingo leads these conversations she she basically teaches people how to listen and learn mm-hmm. yeah. yeah which yeah. you know <laughs> you think you think people would know that you think right. we'd know that but we don't we don't mm. we don't we don't and so she models it so well she does mm. this is her gift uh, and so yeah. she asks us questions and she listens to us and she learns about us and then we learn because someone is taking an interest and who we are and what we're doing. Yeah. yeah. So that's what you're going to hear today. Yeah. It was fun. It was. It was fun. Right. And Christy, you're getting to know Melinda uh, Christy's in friend. person as I'm well. Gonna, I'm Chris, gonna, this, Christy's friend, Melinda Joy Mingo. That's what I'm going to Christy's friend MJ. Now. Yes. MJ. MJ. We're, oh, we're, yeah, that's remember, right. Remember, we're that's close right. enough I can call her MJ. You, okay. MJ. Wow. Wow. <laughs> high status. All right. Here's, uh, here's the interview. Dr. Melinda Joy Mingo, MJ, welcome back to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Thank you. I'm happy to be back. Last time we talked with Dr. Mingo about her book, and her book is all about having crucial conversations, cross-cultural, cross-ethnic conversations, and developing the capacities and the competencies to do that well. And then after we got done recording, MJ was like, hey, how about we have a crucial conversation? And we were all like... That would be awesome. What does that mean? She we said, don't know what it means, though. You'll find out. You'll find <laughs> I'm out. excited. So, MJ, why don't you set this up for us? What are we going to do? And then let's do it. 
Yes. So first of all, thank you for having me back and trusting me, even though you don't know me that well, <laughs> but <laughs> but trusting me enough to have me back. And, and so I want to set it up. Um, we were talking about uh, just in today's culture and how people of color sometimes are invited into rooms and uh, we call it invited to the table, you know, to share. And, and so that people want to learn and people want to learn. And while we definitely appreciate that sometimes. One of the things that I said is I feel that I'm a little bit uh, weary of being invited to tables where the menu has been set. When I go into a room, yeah. um, I'm told what we're going to talk about. It's already been decided how we're going to talk about it, um, who is in the room. And then I'm basically asked to share my stories or my experiences. And, and I recently just had a thought uh, and I said, it's beginning to be a bit painful for me because I go into a room and I think, wow, we probably shouldn't have even started the conversation like that. Um, we didn't get to know each other or anything, or you want to hear my stories and my lived experiences. But when I share my lived experiences, they're always pretty much measured by what other people have gone through or what it shouldn't be like. So I thought um, I had a great time with Christy, Matt and Ben. And I just thought, what about if we model something just for a little bit here, you know, if I came back on. And so we have a table, but this time the table, um, again, and not that I wouldn't even trust being here with Matt, Ben and Christy, but what if they would allow me to lead a table today where it would be a table where we wouldn't just talk about, um, what's happening in life, but we get to know each other. And so I came this morning with two, two great questions I thought about that we could talk about. And it's in, it's in light of um, the book that I wrote, The Colors of Culture, The Beauty of Diverse Friendships, and the reality that I believe, uh, again, a lot of what we see happening in our world today, or especially in our nation, um, is a result of fear and people not knowing each other. Yeah. We don't. We know each other through a meeting. I'm in meetings more than most people uh, as a professor, pastor, all of that. But after the meetings, we go home. We go somewhere else and we don't get to know each other. And I am thoroughly convinced that the only way we would really actually be, be unifiers and be cultural bridge persons or a term that I use, which is cultural champions in this nation is that we take time to be a little uncomfortable and, mm -hmm. and getting to know each other. So that's the context of the table and us coming together where the menu is not necessarily set by the same people. Because the last thing I'll say for that, sometimes people will say, well, we're tired of hearing the same stories. And so my response is, if you're tired of hearing the same stories, you've got to change the storytellers. Hmm. The stories are not going to change if we have the same people in the same room. It's kind of the metaphor of fish going from one aquarium to the next. So I thought, what about a good time of us getting to know each other? So I have a question here that I like for each of you. I have two. But uh, my first question is, it's a thinking question of if each of you were invited to stand before a crowd, a stadium of people. So it's a stadium of people, all ethnicities, all walks of life, people who come from different backgrounds, socioeconomic classes, whatever it may be, gender. 
And they are coming because they want to hear something different about what's going on in the world today. And so the, the title of your talk is The Value, Worth, and Dignity of Every Person. And so you, I would like for you not to give the talk, of course, but mm-hmm. what would be some highlights of what you would say to a stadium full of people who are saying, how do we learn how to value people? What do you do to show dignity to people? How do people learn about their worth through your life? Wow, that's a great question. And I'm going to say that Matt and Ben get to go first. Oh, Christy, wow. And I can and I can even share too because I mm. want it to be where we get to learn about each other. Yeah. And so I'll actually go first. And I'll just say if I was invited into that crowd, I think that I would really just start with the fact that value is not um, something that we can make a person feel. You mm. know, what I would say is value is how we connect with people and then they will feel that mm-hmm. i will just say to the, everybody in that stadium you got to realize something it doesn't matter whether you have five dollars in your pocket whether you're wealthy you all have value number one we are believers and so i'm thinking that i would just say even if the people were not believers i basically would say your worth is not determined by how people see you necessarily by even sometimes how you see yourself, that you have to mm. see yourself in a different way. It's mm. good. Well, well, I I can I can venture into these waters, even though I'm a little bit as 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 you mentioned earlier, uh, MJ. I'm a little bit uncomfortable, but I'm okay with you making me uncomfortable. <laughs> I'm okay with you making Ben uncomfortable too. Yeah, yeah, Matt loves when I'm uncomfortable. I'm not okay with Matt making yes. me uncomfortable. That's I why I draw have, the boundary. I even have rescue boats. So. Oh, oh there's a rescue yes, boat. Well, rescue don't tell boats. me about it yet. I'm about to dive well, in. Okay. Right, all right. Well, I am curious about uh, what your rescue boat is. Um, this is great. Um, something that comes to mind for me, MJ, um, in regards to this, um, is I think something that I've been learning to do in the last several years, um, which is especially for those who have been marginalized. I'm thinking of people of color, thinking of women, um, that uh, I've been learning how important it is to uh, listen mm-hmm. and to validate emotion and experience. Even if, I think what I used to do in the past was to, um, what was to try to discern, like immediately discern, like, well, is that true? Is that emotion rooted in something real? Um, and that kind of thing. And what I ended up doing was unintentionally gaslighting people, I think, because I was trying to convince them that their experience wasn't true, even if there was some discernment to make, you know, on the other side of that, like, well, you know, I don't know if that person was actually trying to do that to you. And so one of the things as far as like dignity and worth that I'm learning how to do uh, with, you know, uh, people really close to me actually right now is, is there's a way of validating experience and emotion um, as experience and emotion as just saying like, yeah, that sounds really hard. That sounds, of you know, of course you'd feel that way. That that makes total sense to me. 
Um, and then, you know, later on, maybe we can get to discerning whether or not that's rooted in reality or what that, maybe that's what that person meant or, you know, all of that kind of thing. But I think that for me, it's, I'm trying to learn, I'm not very good at it yet, mm-hmm. but I'm trying to learn how to make my first move, a move of connection and empathy and saying, validating experience and emotion in the other person, especially, uh, people who have been, traditionally been marginalized whether their experiences and emotions have been invalidated or argued with. Um, and I've been part of that. I've been complicit in doing that um, to people uh, close to me. So that's what, that's what comes to mind as you ask that question. Wow, that is phenomenal. I was just sitting here shaking my head, honestly thinking, I'm taking notes so that I can <laughs> just do a recap. That No, that is seriously phenomenal. It touched my heart. And I would say that if I was sitting in that stadium and you said that, Right away, whatever you said after that, I'd be willing to listen. Hmm. Anything else that you said after that? Because for me, my first thought is you're not here to negate my pain or what I say. Hey, this hurt me when the person said this. You said here to listen and validate emotions and experiences and not to gaslight. What does gaslighting mean, Ben? Yes. Uh, Good question, MJ. Gaslighting is um, a term used for... um, and I've been learning that you can do it unintentionally. Um, so it's oftentimes used for the intentional sort of um, uh, invalidating of someone's experience, basically like trying to convince them that what they think happened didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and so oftentimes it happens unintentionally, I think, when, um, I mean, for me in conversations, if I feel triggered by some, something somebody says and I get defensive and I start arguing with them about what they just shared with me, that can unintentionally gaslight their experience because now we're arguing about whether or not it's valid that they felt hurt or angry rather than just acknowledging, oh, of course you felt angry, you know, and then we can, then we can proceed from there. So that's that, great. I heard that help. Yeah. Yeah. No, it does. Yeah. And I, I knew, but I wanted the audience to know just yeah, in case. It's good, good call. Yeah. Maybe not, you know, not everybody knows what that is. Because I heard this statement that never ridicule a pain that you have not experienced. Mm. It's, it's easy to say, get over something, you right. know. And so that's just really great. I mean, listening and validating. And I'll just say this quickly. I was sharing one day with someone about my experiences of, of moving to a predominantly white state, Colorado, where um, the African-American percentage is 6%. It was 12, and so I went down to 6%. Mm-hmm. And was and, uh, sharing just how I have to be a bicultural person to make it in this state. And what I mean is that a lot of people don't know some of the songs that I know, um, some of the Black artists or whatever it may be. So I'm immersed in a white culture. I go into restaurants here, and this very easily I'm the only Black person sitting in a huge restaurant. It's normal. That, I, that you don't see another African-American person. And as I was saying that, someone did a gaslighting and they said, oh, well, I've been the minority too in situations. I said, I, I totally understand that, but you just, <laughs> you, you just uh, devalidated my pain of me trying to share with you as a friend why sometimes I yes. feel lonely. So yes. thank you for that. Yeah. 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 Can I just point out something I noticed about that, MJ? Yes. I, I, I wonder if that person's intent wasn't to build a bridge to your pain and to mm. say, I've experienced pain like that. Like if they're, it, that was their attempt at empathy, but because 
they tried to emphasize the similarity without appreciating the difference. They wow. actually did the opposite to you that they wanted. That is phenomenal. That is true, Matt. That's really good. I mean, I mean, yeah, and because it reminds me of a training I did last week, and we were just talking about, again, experiences. And people came, they said they wanted to learn. And so we were sharing that um, many times people of color become weary sharing because it's always get over it. You know, the playing field is equal kind of thing. But that whole similar thing, the lady said, I understand what you mean, MJ, because I was jumped by a group of black girls when I was like a teenager. And I wasn't talking about being jumped by white people. I was talking about a life of experiences. So that's really true. Mm. Yeah. Thanks, Matt. That was great. I'd like to take a stab at answering your question, but now I'm thinking about so many other great things. I forget your great question. Could you restate it? <laughs> yes, I can. Um, so you have been invited into this huge stadium. People from all walks of life, race, ethnicity, background, socioeconomic status. And they are coming to hear something that's going to help them understand what their value and worth is. And a lot of them are marginalized people in the stadium. A lot of them have been dismissed. So what would you say? What what would be your words or encouragement that you would say to them? Yeah, so you made a statement at the beginning, MJ, like if you're tired of the stories being told, then you need to get new storytellers. Um, I would want to communicate that I'm interested in knowing the stories of how you've experienced a lack of dignity and a lack of worth. So, I think, yeah, I think I want to understand the ways in which, personally mm -hmm. and corporately, you have internalized the messages that you don't matter, that you don't have value, that you don't have worth, that there is no dignity. Um, and just listen. Like, just listen to those stories. So, like, yeah, I mean, that's what occurs to me. Before yes. I'd have anything to say, I'd, I want to hear stories, which is awkward because when you're on a on a huge uh, stadium stage, you don't really get a chance to talk to people one on one. But that's that's what occurs to me. Mm -hmm. And then again, as you're standing there, you know, whenever you're speaking, you come down off a platform. There's always people who have connected to something you've said. And so they'll be waiting for you because you said from that platform, I'm interested in knowing your stories and how you have experienced a lack of dignity and even internalized that. So Matt, you, you now have 15 people who are standing down there saying, Hey, I want to get coffee with you. I would like to share some things with you and all. And then you start meeting with people and uh, you realize that you have some similar things that have happened to you, that you have experiences where you, not had dignity where even as a white male people have talked about you or shamed mm -hmm. you right and so how would you try to bring that in without devalidating that too much yeah mj i, I hear you saying so how do i not do what that person did to you accidentally mm -hmm. yes yeah i hear that yeah and, but um, yet but yet they still need to know that you are a human being as well and that you too have have some stories that maybe would help them as well. Yeah. You know, maybe I'll just ask you, MJ, like, yeah. is it is it enough to acknowledge the differences 
And is it, so let's say it's a, let's say it's a Latino, Latina woman. Mm-hmm. Is it enough for me to say uh, as a white guy living in America, I have no idea really how your race and your gender play into you feeling devalued or um, how, how you, how just living here maybe is eroding your dignity on a day-to-day basis. Like I just don't, I, I can't, I don't know if I can bridge that gap experientially. Um, but your story makes me think of the times in my life when I've doubted my self-worth and the times in my mm-hmm. life when I have felt like I don't matter. And so just the, just the drops of that experience in my heart, I feel like it opens me up to you more. Yeah, that's really good because it's true. So sitting with someone and, and, and saying, I'm interested in hearing your stories. And, and even I say this sometimes to people, I, I probably can't connect to maybe anything you're saying, but I want to listen. I want to validate you as a person. And I even want to sit here to say that even though I haven't experienced your pain, I'm acknowledging it. I'm not devaluing it. And so it's exactly what you said, Matt. And, and then at that point, you know, that's how friends, how people become friends from different cultures and, and walks of life. It's, it's not trying to say, oh, yeah, I had that experience, too. Yeah, yeah, I went through that. It's listening. And a person saying, man, thank you just for listening. I wasn't even trying to get an answer. I just wanted you to listen. And you took time out of your day to listen, to care enough for me. That meant everything. You know, I'm I'm noticing me. I don't know, Ben, Christy, you you notice this, or if this is just me. I'm happy to just own this for me. But when I hear somebody tell a story of such like awful things happening to them, I I feel anxious about it. Like I I want to make it better for them. I want to resolve it for them. I want to do something about it for them. I there's this there's this uh, you know maybe this feeling if I. I put the best possible spin on it, like I want to make the world right for them. Maybe the worst possible spin on it is like I feel a little complicit or guilty and I want to resolve my own guilt. You know what I mean? Like, and I'm not sure I would know which one it is. I could tell myself any virtuous story I want to believe. But like, I, I think there is an anxiety present in listening to a story that doesn't comport with the dominant frame you use to navigate the world. Of course. I mean, I even feel that way. I mean, when I'm in other countries and and uh, I'm an American, for instance, when I was in Vietnam and I'm listening to stories of pain, you know, and, and looking at their buildings and mildewed and, you know, the things they've gone through with the war. And I'm just sitting there, even as a black woman from America, I've had experiences, but I didn't even bring all that in. I'm just like, you know, let me listen to you. You know, I don't need to bring up. Yeah, I was raised in the Cabrini Green projects. I understand poverty. And what both you, Ben, and Matt said, which is so true, is that we don't have to try to bring in similar things to try to validate somebody else's pain. We really don't. I mean, so I would just listen in Vietnam and I'd just be anxious too, thinking, oh my gosh, what can I do? And then what I realized the second year in Vietnam is, they wanted to feel loved by somebody, somebody who cared enough to listen, somebody who they were not expecting me to go and change their world in Vietnam. They wanted just a few minutes with somebody who cared enough to listen.
This podcast is brought to you by Gravity Leadership Academy, our 10-month online training intensive for Christian leaders who want to root their life and leadership in God's love and bring lasting transformation to their culture. In Gravity Leadership Academy, you'll learn the real-life practicalities of how to notice God's presence and activity in and around you, so you can participate more fully in God's life and mission, and open up space for those around you to do so too. We've worked really hard to make this training in missional leadership practical and doable. To find out more about Gravity Leadership Academy, visit gravityleadership.com academy. MJ, that is kind of, as you all are talking and thinking of the possibility, like if all of these people are in one place and I had one thing I could say, that is what I would want to say is that you are loved um, because I think it's foundational. And I, I understand that maybe not everyone in that stadium would, would be a Christian or someone who is a person of faith, but I still believe that that is the foundation of what humanity is hungering for, that they they are longing to know that they have love from from God and that their identity gets to be uh, wrapped up in that love, not based on anything other than that. Um, I'm not sure. I think I've told Matt this story, but a, a year ago we were um, in the midst of, of when George Floyd was murdered and our city put on a kid protest to teach kids how about protests and what it was. And, um, and my family went. And I wanted my kids, I have, I have two adopted kids who are Hispanic, and I wanted, um, I wanted them to, I, I, I don't know, to feel like they had a sense of belonging that was beyond just my family, my immediate family. Um, and so we went. And, of course, at the protests, 16-year-old girl comes up and does this, this speech, and it was great. And at the end, uh, a woman says, okay, any child, any kid can come up and say whatever they want. And uh, my youngest stood up and starts walking towards the microphone. And I'd, I, as a parent, I was like, oh, my word, what is he going to say? Like, this is terrible. I just, I'm like, baby, what are you going to say? What are you going to say? And he's just like beelining it to the microphone. He gets up to the microphone. The lady looks at me and I'm like, I don't know. And uh, and he says, dear Jesus, I pray that mm -hmm. everyone here, no matter the color of their skin, feels loved. Mm. Amen. So and beautiful. obviously it was not, a, you know, it's not a Christian protest, but everyone so started beautiful. clapping. And, yes. and I was like, that is that is what I, I mean. Because we all are sinners and we're all loved. We're all yes. broken and we're all yet welcomed by God. We're all, you know, wounded and yet we're all cherished. We're all human and yet we can all be a friend of Jesus. And and to know that we are loved is seems so core and so foundational that w that's what I want people to to know and to hear and what I want to say. Oh, that's beautiful because it is it. It's the core. And, you know, sometimes I think with all the things that are going on in our society today, issues, you know, different things that have cropped up. The one thing that I say personally, love is not weak. One of the strongest things is love. I may not be able to articulate, you know, an experience. I may not be able to even identify with another person's experience. But one thing that love does, love bridges the gap between 
any place or any person. It, yes. it just does. And it's, yes. it's huge. It is really mm-hmm. huge. I mean, it is. Thank you all. Are you feeling, are you feeling pretty good? Do I need to pull out any rescue boats? Are you good? This is no. great. No, we're, <laughs> right. I'm good. I got my yeah. bathing suit on. I'm swimming. Yes. Yeah, we're swimming. Okay. Just I, the water, know, probably. Yeah. I know. You guys are surfing. These are great. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> this is my last one here is um, um, number one. Tell me one fun thing that, that I, I would like to learn one fun thing about you. Wow. Ben, go one for it. One fun thing. All right. I'll go. Yes. I'll go first. So one uh, fun thing about me is that I, um, we never had a pet growing up. Um, like, well, I, we had a dog. When I grew up, we had a dog. But um, like my family, that um, with my wife and I and our kids, uh, we never really had pets. Um, I'm allergic to cats. And so like we just never thought it was in the cards. And a few years ago, it was about four years ago, five five years ago now, we started thinking about getting a dog, a little hypoallergenic dog, um, that kind of thing um, for our family. And um, I, I just, I didn't want to get the dog, but um, because I was afraid that I'd be allergic to it and then I'd break everybody's heart, right? So everybody, we get the dog and everybody love, loves the dog. And I'm like, guys, I can't live with the dog. And they'll be like, they'll kick me out of the house and keep the dog. You know, that was my fear. Um, but anyway, so we got this dog um, and I'm not allergic to it and it's great. Um, her name is Edith. So I have a dog named Edith is maybe the fun, the fun thing about me. She weighs eight pounds and she's oh. a tiny little thing. And I actually like fell head over heels in love with this dog. I really like our dog. Um, she's really, really sweet. I never, I never anticipated myself becoming a dog person, but now like, I look, I see dogs all the time now, like just driving around, walking around and I'll commonly like remark to my wife, just like, Hey, look, there's a good dog. There's a, a dog. Another good dog. Another there's another good dog. good dog. They're all good dogs. <laughs> so anyway, dogs. I became a dog person, uh, <laughs> at, you know, in my forties. Wow. That's a fun thing about me. Similar thing that I want to say is I became a cat lover in my forties. Did you? Yes. Never <laughs> like cats. You know, sneezing and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Then someone went to a pet shop and bought a cat for me and brought it to me. I go, oh, God. Oh. So I had to keep it, had to keep the cat and fell in love with that cat. Uh-huh. And I was like uh, taking videos. I'm like, this is my cat. His name was Abraham. Uh-huh. And and I said, it meant a lot to me that um, I was able to move into something to love something that I never thought that I would love before. Yeah. Yeah. You and my wife would get along. She's still yes. kind of a cat person. She mm-hmm. loves cats. There you go. Them to marry me, though. So there you go, <laughs> <laughs> Matt. Um, yes, there's so many fun things about me. Um, I, I sit all day and I read books and I uh, take myself too seriously. Let's see. My <laughs> daughter is a little bundle of creative, spontaneous joy. Oh, and, um, she refuses to connect with me on my terms and it's like really good for me. Uh So she, (laughs) so here's some of the, some of the ways she presses me into fun. Um, she will, she will speak to me in ways that like make my Christian dad and proper relationship with daughter, like sirens go off. But if I give her back like her sarcasm, and like her like jokey thing, she completely opens up and we have a blast. Aww. 
So I think she's teaching me not to um, be so rigid and take yeah. myself so seriously. Yeah. Um, so she teaches me to fun. She also, like her favorite thing in the world to do is to wait behind doors and jump out and scare me uh-huh. when I'm yeah, not yeah. expecting it. And she does yeah. that, like uh, literally she'll hide for 10, 15 minutes. And uh, sometimes I get a little stressed out, you know, part of that being serious and taking myself too seriously. And uh, when she scares me, like rage pulses through my body, MJ. Like I am terrified and then I'm enraged. Um, but uh, so this now here comes the fun part. Um, but then I make a decision usually to uh-huh. do it, do it back to her. Um, and so uh, fun thing about me is my nine year old does crazy, wacky, spontaneous things with me, including like wrestling matches right before bed, which, you know, makes her mom really excited because she's supposed to calm down. But that's, you know, that's the time we get physical and other things like that. So that's that's a fun thing about me. My nine year old teaches me how to have fun. Yeah, that's great. And I love it. And she scares you. <laughs> she terrifies me. She's yes. Good, good. I'm glad. She <laughs> good. I'm going to send her a gift. She I made up. It- she made up this game called hide and uh, what is it called? Hide and sneak. That's what she oh. calls it. And hide and sneak is where you hide. It's like hide and seek. And then um, it's a contest to see if the hider can be found or if the hider can scare the seeker first. Ah. So, you know, so like it, it I've yeah. never been terrified playing hide and seek before, but playing with her, I'm like, very, very trepidatiously looking in places because she, she usually wins. <laughs> usually scares me. <laughs> and, and so I'll put it in. I love that, and I'll put it in the cultural context. Isn't it interesting that when we connect with people from different cultures, uh, again, what's fun in one culture may not be in another. Like, oh, we're gonna go and we're gonna go up into the bamboo trees and we're gonna climb up <laughs> in the rainforest, and uh, and I go, oh. I'm claustrophobic. Go, no, no, come on. You have to go, MJ. And I'm Mm. having a severe panic attack and I do it anyway. And I go up there and I realize that a lot of my fears come from the fact that I've never really even been um, invited to do something different. (laughs) Christy. Man, I'm sitting here thinking, I don't know what to share. (laughs) Um, But I guess this is what I'm going to share because I just I just told this story this week uh, when I was before my senior year of high school I went to Jamaica and I was on a, a like all summer long stayed there worked at an orphanage and helped build part of a church and this whole thing anyway they had a group of guys that were playing soccer and I played soccer in high school and I asked the coach if I could play it was all boys and he said no and I kind of was persistent I was like come on let me play let me play. They were often playing at like um, prisons and places where I wasn't really able to go. But one time they had this uh, time that they were going to have a game and they asked a semi-professional Jamaican team to play against them. And they were going to have this like, you know, big rally thing. So I bugged the coach. Come on, coach, please let me. And he's like, all right, you can dress, but I can't promise you'll play. I'm like, all right, all right. So first half, we're like, you know, zero, zero. And... It's a couple minutes before the half, and I am just egging the coach to let me in. Like, I just am like, come on, coach, let me in, let me in, let me in. It's the only time I can play. Um, Finally, like two minutes before the half, he's like, all right, go ahead. You can go in, Chrissy. And so I go in, and within like seven seconds, I get tripped in the box. 
which if you know soccer means that you get a penalty kick. And so, so uh, our captain like lines me up and here's the deal. I, I was like five foot. I'm like five, two now. I've really grown a lot since then. Um, <laughs> but I was, as five foot and, um, and the goalie was six, three. I mean, his arms were like ginormous go, go gadget arms. And my captain came up to me and he like, looked me in the face and he's like, you can do this, you know? Okay. Okay. So I, I back up and I just run and I kick it and it goes perfectly in the right corner and I scored against a semi-professional oh, Jamaican goalie. Wow. And I made the front page. I was in the newspaper. They were like, yes. Wow. And the news was like, I mean, little newspaper, but I was like my wow. one claim to fame and it was so fun. And it was like this crazy oh. high of, I love soccer and I love scoring, but then the challenge of it, it was fun. Mm, that's so awesome. Cool. Well, I know our time is kind of wrapping up and I'll have to hand it over here. But but uh, one quick thing here, the last thing for our table here is quickly, um, what assumption do you think people have about you because they don't know you? I'll say one about me. Um, I feel that one assumption people have is because I have you know, a PhD and all that, that there's certain people that I want to be around all the time or whatever. And yet the reality is I was homeless while I had a PhD, sleeping in my car, writing this book mm. while I was sleeping in the parking lot of a Walmart. And mm. so this, and so people who know me now know that, but the assumptions is certain things bring certain things. I can use yes. that. Okay. Mm, yep. All right. Quick round. Assumption, Matt. Oh, gosh. I think people assume that, oh, gosh, I don't know. Uh, maybe this. Maybe I'll show this. Uh, people assume that I make jokes mm. um, because I'm funny. I don't know. Or trying to be funny. And actually, I make jokes, um, I, I think, because I learned that was a way to protect myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> totally, totally, totally get it. Um, and so it's, it's a habit that I developed to survive mm. that now sometimes is fun to do, but mm. uh, it's, it definitely, it wasn't like just because I'm, I'm happy go lucky. It actually mm. is the opposite. I was really scared mm-hmm. and the only way I could mm. ensure my safety was to change the emotional temperature of a room through a joke. Wow, that's powerful. Jeez, I All just right. thought of that. I mean, I just, I just thought of. I think no, people that, don't people don't assume that when they hear me tell jokes. Yeah, no, they're like, "Oh, Matt's funny. He's kind of, you know." Yeah. No, yeah, not wow. Matt, Matt likes to try to be funny. I think is what people he tries to be funny. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> all right. Yeah, that's Ben. This is great. Um. Okay. All right. So probably one thing that people assume about me is that I like uh i'm pretty like i present as pretty even keel in most situations um but that (laughs) much like matt's humor was also probably a survival mechanism for Mm. me and so i think people assume that i don't feel insecure anxious afraid um angry um but i do wow quite often yeah (laughs) no that's that's powerful there's a lot to that Wow. Christy? Yeah, I think similar to Ben, um, Mm -hmm. I think people assume 
because I'm a woman pastor or maybe because I have five kids or I'm not really sure, but there is this uh, messed up thinking that Christy has it all together. Mm. Um, I know. And yes. I don't. Yeah. And um, and that is ha- that's hard. It's really mm-hmm. hard because it's almost like they don't uh, believe I'm human or they mm-hmm. think I shouldn't be, I don't know, shouldn't be human, but I am. Totally get it. As a female pastor myself, totally get it. I just want to say, I'm going to leave a word here and then turn it over uh, to, to Matt here, a few things. Number one, I use a term in my book. I just use it, period. It's called assumed familiarity. And mm-hmm. assumed familiarity is that people make assumptions based on someone else who is a little bit familiar to them. For instance, um, again, I had a black friend in fifth grade, but that's, you know, whatever. I lived in, I lived overseas in Africa as a white person. So I know about African-Americans or, or I know about women pastors. And so the assumed familiarity is what keeps us apart from each other. Yeah. What we, what we did today, I learned so much from you all. I really did. And I could resonate with each one of you. We don't have time. I could resonate with you, Ben, about feeling this kind of, anxiousness or whatever, this survival mechanism, a certain way I present myself. I can resonate with you, Matt, you know, the times of just trying to bring likeness to a room or maybe people take it a different way and definitely with Christy. And so I just want to leave this with you three. I want to say that um, as you, I just want to, some of the things you said here about listening and validating others' emotions and experiences don't gaslight. Don't try to convince whatever people that is not valuable. Um, to have the heart of a learner, I'm paraphrasing that. Trying to learn is having the heart of a learner. That I'm interested in knowing stories of people, and then I'll listen to how they have experienced a lack of ind- dignity or worth. And then I won't try to make a similar story with them. I'll just try to be a, an intentional person to, to, to love and listen. And then Christy said, love, I would always um, leave people with the fact that they are loved and that their identity should be wrapped up in love. And so I want to say to to the three of you, thank you for allowing me to be at the table here. I've learned a lot about you. I, I appreciate you trusting me. And I want to say to you, whether they're listening, you know, listeners or whomever, I just want to leave you with this, that you are loved. And the reality about love is that it's not wrapped up in a theory. It's not wrapped up in an application. It's wrapped up in what we did here today, having a chance to get to know each other. Yeah. Thank you, MJ. Thanks for hosting this conversation, Yes, so good. It's a fun idea. I just want to say, we've done 200-plus podcasts. I know because somebody else counted and told me. And this is the first podcast we've done that wasn't our idea. Oh, I love it. Yeah. And you trusted me and I feel very honored by oh. that. I, I sincerely say that. No, it has yeah, been great, MJ. It's been awesome. Yeah. Thanks yes. for, uh, thanks for teaching us today. Thanks for hosting, convening this today. And, uh, I don't know, maybe we'll do it again sometime. Yeah. Thank you all. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Our show is produced by Ben Sternke, Matt Tebby, and Ben Hardman. Aaron Sternke does our mixing and mastering. You can check out his work at aaronsternke.com. If you find our podcast helpful, share it with your friends in person and on social media. And don't forget to rate and review us online as well as subscribe so you don't miss an episode. 
You can join our Gravity community for free at gravityleadership.com join. You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as an email most Fridays with curated links to articles we found interesting or helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com join. And hey, we'd love to hear from you. Ask a question, make a comment, send us an idea, a recommendation, recipe, whatever. You can email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. Catch you next time. special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.